I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Catherine Pecula, who has a BA in Literature and Philosophy from the college right around the corner here in Bennington. And she has an MFA in Poetry from NYU, where she was a writer in the public schools and an adjunct professor. Her chapbook, I'm Fine, How Are You?, received the 2018 Newfound Prose Prize. And so we're really happy to have her here because I heard her read live and I know you're going to enjoy what you're going to hear. So welcome to Poetry Spoken Here. Hi. <laughs> Thanks hey. for having me. <laughs> you sound good. She's talking to us all the way from Brooklyn. Uh, you know, one thing I noticed, because a lot of people don't do this, among the poems you sent me, there's an ekphrastic poem. Yeah. Uh, where were you when you, I don't know where this Pointing hangs, or maybe you saw it online. Oh, where where did you see it and write it? Um, the the poem I sent you is uh, about a Titian um, painting of Europa, um, and it's in the uh, the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Oh yeah, which is a really crazy museum. I I, I love it. It actually might be one of my favorite museums. Um, so it's her. It was her house, and it's basically her personal collection um, displayed in exactly the way that she wanted it to be viewed among um, other objects um, like furniture wow. and um, the architecture of the room. And um, that particular Titian painting, um, she had placed uh, a piece of fabric underneath it that was from her favorite dress, <laughs> which I found just incredibly fascinating as a choice and like wanted to explore as what that could possibly wow. mean. And this was hanging on the wall under the painting? Yeah, or? she had like framed, framed, oh, framed a piece of fabric, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me like the, the Phillips Gallery in Washington, D.C. used to be the family house. And now it has a big modern expansion, but the old place, just like little bitty bedrooms upstairs with these Paul Clays on the wall and stuff like that. Didn't have furniture, but it was very much felt like uh, personal, very personal. Yeah. I think that's what's really special about that place. And then also there's like a big garden in the middle that they change seasonally so it's, mm. it's a very sensual experience on different levels yeah 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 okay this is the the abduction of europa by zeus the source of this a little mythic uh, mm. content you want to read this poem sure and see what else you'd like to say about it sure it's cool under titian's europa I position myself like her dress in the red room and myself, the bull with the wildflower wreath or a sofa with sad eyes. The pink outline like a tiny worm wriggles into my aqueous humor. And myself, Europa's eyes rolled back, her exposed nipple on the back of the bull, a tunic twisting between her thighs. And myself, the bull's tail, a trail of smoke, and myself, the fish, held down, and the puto riding the fish, holding myself down. 
I position myself as the red cloth thrown back like a stream of amniotic fluid, her hand on the cloth, her hand on the bull's horn, and myself the putti above, the one reaching for the red cloth, and the one with the arrows. I position myself like arrows toward the blue mountain in the background, toward the ocean, toward the eye of the held fish, and myself the red in the putti wings, and myself the clenching of her right foot. I position myself next to you among the witnesses on shore holding up our arms. All right, thank you. What else would you like us to know about this? I, I think, I mean, for me, the poem is about agency and allegiance in a weird way. Um, I think also reading or how to, how, to, how to read a painting, how to read anything. Um, I think there, part of that experience is like putting the self aside and slipping into the art object. Um, and I think there's like a groping that can happen in that in trying to find yourself within the art object. Mm -hmm. um, I, it, it's also a lot about power for me. Um, She's so, in Brooklyn, folks. Ignore the siren. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Keep that, going. I'm used to it by now. I didn't even notice. Um, as you and your listeners might know, in the tale of Europa, she is raped by Zeus, um, seduced in the form of a bull. Um, so there's definitely some power dynamics that are happening there that I wanted to question for myself and um, also question what Isabel Stewart Gardner could have been thinking in placing her favorite cloth underneath this painting. <laughs> how did she, what did she see in it? How, how, yeah. how was she, you know, placing herself yeah. As a viewer, um, yeah. You're reminding me of an old thing out of out of Gestalt therapy, in terms of an analyzing dreams, mm. and you you just take yourself and be all the parts of the dream, and yes. talk to the therapist. Yes. And so you're her, you're the bull, you're the yeah, all the different pieces of the dream, as as if each one is a part of yourself, or at least you try to find out the relationships. Totally. I, I am definitely on the side of believing that the self is a very fractured thing and we're not one self, we're many selves. <laughs> yeah, not one simple thing. Yeah. Got it, yeah. That's really, have you done many ekphrastic poems or, or is this kind of an oddity in, in what you've written? Um, this is an oddity in terms of looking at a painting. Mm. I think I've done something similar with other kinds of art. Mm. Um, yeah. 
sometimes I will take inspiration from an episode of TV or um, actually one of the other poems I sent you is based on a play or I wrote it based on notes that I had taken out of play. Well, I don't think I identified that. You could read that poem and tell us about it. That's cool. Sure. Um, That one's Ghosts. There is a play Ghosts. Yeah, Ibsen. Ibsen, but I don't really know it. You know, I couldn't really explain the plot to you. Well, that's okay. The poem definitely, definitely makes allusions to it. Okay, we're more interested in your poetry than okay, Ibsen great. at the moment. We can, <laughs> we can look him up later. Highly recommend looking him up. Great. Um, ghosts. Palm to my face in love. It's unrealistic to expect the possession of someone holy. It's dreadful. We never think of that at the time. The author's hand in this scene, another metaphor for faith foreshadowed in the decision to ensure or not ensure in case it will burn. We pretend we are in someone else's hands. I don't believe in special protection. I grip the armrest. You are sorry for pointing. I'm not speaking as yours. This one could use some explanation for me anyway. You want to tell us uh, some more about what's going on? Sure. Some of it's just very masked um, personal tensions. Um, So... I think I think something that I was struggling, this is also an older poem, it was something mm-hmm. I wrote while still at NYU and was definitely learning a lot about myself in the way that I behave while in relationships with people and um, trying to figure out my relationship to love and um, maybe how it was hurting me and also benefiting me. Um, I think I was definitely noticing this tendency that I had in like wanting very much to possess this person that I had a lot of affection for. Um, So that's really at the heart of it. Um, But also I mean, love like a possession, possession in terms of a a spirit kind of taking your body over. And, uh, you know, there's an out of controlness um, in that. Um, I think losing the self um, to to that drive Mm. almost is like being possessed by a ghost. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to what you're saying. <laughs> really. Do you find that in relation to this? Do you find uh, what do you find the relationship uh, between writing poetry and a self understanding that you're talking about? Oh, I am always trying to work through something <laughs> in my writing that is um, ha- actually happening. Um, uh, I don't want to say that it's similar to the way that 
you know, Anne Sexton or some of confessionals have used mm. poetry as a therapy. Um, yeah. It, it's that, but also, I mean, I was raised Catholic, which gave me this kind of flavor of, you know, thinking beyond the material. Um, and when I got to college, that interest shifted very much towards the philosophical. And I have just always kind of been obsessed with trying to solve, you know, mental gymnastical problems, <laughs> thought puzzles. A lot of the time yeah. I will think about a poem as a thought puzzle. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Solving the relatively unsolvable. Yes. Or at least, yeah. <laughs> Probing the depths. Probing the depths. Wonderful. Well, well, great. Let's hear another poem. Sure. Between the act of mourning and a bunch of violets pinned to a dress, Sorry I haven't called. I'm stuck in traffic, licking chicken from the steering wheel. The buttonhole between my breasts gets ready to burst, opens, and slackens again. I don't have anything new to say about her suicide. All we can do is get into a slow rhythm of arrival, let the moral bottom fall out into simple urges like sticking ink in the duchess's red shoes. There are two kinds of happiness. One is too close to the lamp. Another poem out of real life experience, I'm sure. Yes. Licking chicken from the steering wheel. <laughs> that, that's your line. You know, when you write something, you say, no one else would have written this. I, what's funny about that is it's not that's not something that I've done I, I right. definitely have have driven while eating chicken and right. you know in writing this poem I was like I, that would be just funny to put that in there yeah <laughs> um yeah this is I think it's a it kind of similarly to the last one Ghosts. This one is kind of a collage of personal experience, but also um, found found text in a weird way. Um, note note taking was definitely a big part of my process at this at oh. this point. <laughs> um, I am pretty sure that this poem came from some notes that I had taken at a John Ashbery lecture. Um, and specifically, I remember him talking about Proust. And I think that's where the Duchess's red shoes come in. Um, but that, yeah, that process was more so like thinking, writing down things that he was saying, but not really in order. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of just like doing a mashup of, you know, things that kind of called out to me and then also letting my mind wander within that process to make free associations. Yeah. And then 
you know, kind of putting them all down on a page and then seeing how can I connect these images? Um, and can I create a narrative with them or some implication of a narrative? Yeah. Yeah. Now, listeners, I'm going to suggest to you that Catherine just said some really interesting things, and you might want to go back and listen to the poem again now that you've heard her say those things. It's the beauty of having a recording, I think, you know, in terms of it comes up uh, when we do this. And when the poet says some things after the poem, you can go back and just, I don't know, get a better, a different appreciation, let's say. I, I, the poem really, Robert Bly would like, but like it having its leaps, it leaps around quite a bit, which is really nice, you know, from one thing to another, as you said, and you've got these things that you are trying to bring together. Yes. Because if it's going to be art, it's going to have coherence of some sort. And uh, that's a, it's a really interesting process. Taking notes from Ashbury of all people in the first place. And, and then it's your own mind wanderings too. Yeah, it's it feels very appropriate to me to have used this process taking the notes from John Ashbery because he also made a lot of collages himself, not just in his poems. Like I, I think his poems are very much like collages. But he's mm -hmm. actually one of my favorite poets. Um, just the way that he mixes high and low culture and has a deep appreciation for humor. Um, and then he was also an artist, like he made paper collages. Yeah, I do appreciate your willingness to go look into your process and try to report it to us. Mm. I think because I, I think it's really a useful thing for, for people interested in poetry, whether they just like to read or listen to it or to write their own. It's just really informative to hear somebody talk about that. You sent me another poem. <laughs> Sure. Do you want me to read this? I wasn't sure if I was going to read this. Sure. Oh, no. I think I think people find it interesting. Yeah. I will say that I, I read this poem at when I graduated from NYU. And um, Sharon Olds came up to me afterwards and was like, that one poem you read about your dick was so good. All right. <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll I'll read it. <laughs> she's she's on my short list of poets I'd like to write like when I grow up. You know. Yes. She is so she's so good. She has a very beautiful soul. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll read this. My dick is bigger than yours and looks good in a peep toe pump. It makes me come every time if I want to. I can stick it in my butt or lick it like a rainbow whirly pop. My dick likes to explore ancient cultures, dive down into manholes searching for lost obelisks. It never hits me, but sometimes I hit myself with obelisks to help me sleep. My dick is self-cleansing like a cat and can go for months without getting bored or sad. It reads German, enjoys what is meant by übergreifen, to overlap, encroach, overreach. My dick wants to be on the street, wants to press doorbells and open doors where it is met with fuck yeah. <laughs> okay, are you going to tell us the impetus for that one? <laughs> 
Where, where did it come from? Just planetary. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose just imagining. Yeah. Um, I the I will say something about the peep toe pump. There was uh, there was a Tumblr account, I think it was, <clears throat> that a friend had sent me a long time ago as a joke. I don't. It probably doesn't exist anymore. I think Tumblr like really purged itself of anything that was pornographic. Um, but this Tumblr account was dedicated to pictures of dicks in shoes <laughs> okay <laughs> which was just very bizarre and i thought was just you know it's yeah the internet age like why not i could sure. make a whole page dedicated to that um i just thought it was funny so i made a nod to that in the poem yeah <laughs> i think this was also another poem i wrote at nyu um, it was, I was given the assignment in a workshop to write about the body, to write a body poem. And I was like, oh my God, another body poem. Like, <laughs> how can I make this fun for myself? Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Casting around for something you hadn't done before. Yeah. See what'll, see what'll come out, you know? It's Which funny. My, my, my parents are very supportive of me and my work and uh they <laughs> i think my father has shared this poem with colleagues and <laughs> it's it's just it makes me feel really happy that he's okay doing that and thinks that it's funny and um you're right proud yeah you're right it's great that he's doing that yeah. and you can appreciate what you're doing yeah i mean it's hard it's, yeah, and that's not always the case for many sure. people. I feel very lucky to to have parents that have been supportive of my art. What are you working on now? Are you working on anything particular or trying to write any particular kind of poems? Um, or, or learn any particular thing? Yeah, I, I'm struggling to write right now. Um, I don't know if part of it is feeling like I think I reached a point where I started to feel like writing wasn't enough um, in terms of making an impact on the world like I definitely think it is important and has a place in you know bringing communities of people together and you know opening people to um, you know, open their hearts in different ways and open their minds in different ways. Um, I think it's been really hard to write since the election in 2016. Mm. Um, I, I think it's hard to process that in writing or it, it I, I think that it's important to to do that work but I, I also am like I should be spending time like actively doing political things <laughs> mm. not that poetry isn't a political act I do think that it is very much a political act but it only goes so far you know it's not writing a poem is not the same thing as attending a rally on rent control yeah. 
or it, it's it's not the same thing as um, you know helping people get registered to vote. Yeah. Um, get your point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I periodically, think, you do get that thought, and you. Yeah, I think it's a little I, demoralizing because we'd like to have the impact. Right. And I think, I think I have been working through those kinds of thoughts and feelings um, and trying to figure out the, the best way to um, maybe create work that can reach a wider audience um, than people that read poems often. Um, that's the other thing. Yeah. There are a lot of wider audiences than we have as poets. Yes. <laughs> Just about everywhere. Yeah. Great. Um, well, well, thank you very much. This has been wonderful. As I said, thanks for being willing to explore into your personal process and tell people about it. Um, cause it's good for people to hear that sort of thing. It's good for me to hear it too. That's part of why I do this. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter, and our guest today is Catherine Pecula talking to us from Brooklyn. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Catherine Pecula, who's been reading her poems from Brooklyn, New York. And now I'd like to take a look at something for Poetry Month. I went looking around to see if there's something unusual somebody's doing for Poetry Month. And I found a program called Poem City. It happens in Montpelier, Vermont, surprisingly, a town with a population of only about 8,000. And with this program, this Poem City program, events happen just about every day for the whole month of April. One big basic element of the program is poems are submitted and posted all over town. This year they have posted 340 poems in places like drugstores, restaurants, banks, fitness center, a music store, bus stops, the Vermont Visitor Center, uh, realtors, anybody that has a window that faces a street participates in this. It's wonderful total community participation. City Hall, the bakery, and of course the library itself. And the Kellogg Hubbard Library is a spearhead source for this project. Started about 10 years ago by Rachel Seneschal, who works at the library and has been a, a powerhouse behind this project for the time that it's been in existence. So some of the kinds of things they do, besides posting over 300 poems all over town, is there are poetry readings, of course. Individual well-known poets, groups of poets reading, uh, publication release parties. Uh, there's an evening of poetry and dance. Uh, one evening is a slam for kids. At the end of the month, there's like something called an Anything Goes Slam, which means they don't prohibit musical instruments and other kinds of things like that. A person can do whatever they want and see if their poem, you know, accompanied by a harpsichord, can beat out some other poem read by 
three, a group of three people, or who knows what they might come up with. Uh, I think it's great to encourage performance poetry. Uh, there's music and art also. So just about every day, the whole month, uh, there is an event like this. Uh, there's one uh, reading on Emily Dickinson and a music with poetry program. And sometime this year, during the month of April, they're reading the entirety of Leaves of Grass, a nice community reading thing. So I know I just ripped through this, a whole lot of specific little details, but the idea is that this making it community-wide. So many businesses and organizations are involved with this. It's really heartwarming to see. And, of course, somebody has to spearhead it, and it's just lucky that Rachel Seneschal is there, who has been so motivated to get this going and to keep it going and to make it strong. So it's just an example of uh, what can be done. And this is a town of 8,000 people. They also even get support from the State Humanities Council. So that's another wonderful thing. So there are some corporate sponsors who contribute, uh, I think, financially as well. So I just wanted to let you know that, give you a little idea of some of the things that are being done in the name of Poetry Month. If you know some things that are happening, let me know. I'd be happy to pass them on. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Please be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you and let your friends and colleagues know we exist. And uh, maybe they'd like to come on by and let poetry speak to them. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.